Good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, I'm, my name is Lyndon, as Dave indicated. Uh, welcome here, and especially welcome everyone online. We've been working through a series for a while uh, called Jesus More Than You Know. And the basic premise of it is that as we read the Gospels and as we explore the understanding of what, how Jesus is described and how his life is shared within the Gospels, we start to realise that the different writers brought their own perspectives. They brought their own experiential reality, their lived experience into how they wrote. And so depending on what they, their background was, depending on what their history was, depending on where they'd come from and what they did, they brought a different flavour to the description of Jesus. And what it actually starts to show is just the complexity and majesty of King Jesus, that he's so much more than what any one person could actually properly understand. And so we spent some weeks walking through Matthew and we understood and saw the context that he brought around Jesus, his, his opening words were to anchor Jesus within the Jewish lineage, within the lineage of, a, of the kinship of David. Because for Matthew, that was really important that we understood that Jesus was part of that family because that then also tells us that in coming into relationship with Jesus, we come into God's family. And then we jump to Mark. We spent a number of weeks working through Mark and we are introduced to this idea from Mark that he wants us to understand that not only was Jesus the Son of God, Jesus was the very image of God. That Jesus was more than a teacher, more than a martyr, more than a healer, more than a prophet. He was Yahweh himself in real life, in presence with people. And Mark is urgent in his sense of wanting to tell people that that is what matters. And we now, as a church, we, as we work through this series, as we work through each of the four Gospels, understanding those different perspectives of what people are saying, what the Gospel writers are saying about Jesus, we now find ourselves at Luke. And I'm excited about that because... For those of you who don't know, I'm an engineer, I love history, I love science, I love sort of understanding the facts of how things fit together and how they work together, what the story is. That really appeals to me. It's where I naturally go. If I was to, my, my inclination and proclivity in reading the gospel would be to go straight to Luke because it's a bit that makes sense to me because it's, it's written as a history. It's generally considered to be the historical gospel because the way he writes it. Luke was an individual who, as a Greek, but also as a Jew, understood, he was trained, he, he understood how literature worked, he understood how history should be written, he understood how things should be documented. He brought that education into his writing, and so he didn't just pick up stories, he, he sort of sat down and documented them properly. In the very introduction to his book, he comes out and says, why he's writing this. In verse 3, he says, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I've also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honourable Theophilus. So Theophilus was a governor. He was someone who was pretty senior within the, within the politics of the time. And Luke obviously had a relationship, had some connection with him and found favour and decided that based on conversations with Theophilus, that what was needed was an accurate account 
of what occurred and that he went and investigated everything from the beginning. We're already seeing in this verse that for Luke, facts mattered. What, was, what occurred really mattered and it mattered that it be done in a right order. It mattered that it be done in the right way. It mattered that it be documented and demonstrated to have been true. Now, Luke as a book is actually part one of a two-part series. The, the name's a bit weird, so Luke tells you who wrote it. Acts of the Apostle, which is the second part, is actually what, what, what's in it. So it's sort of a bit strange that it's not Luke 1 and Luke 2 or Acts of Jesus and Acts of Apostles. I, I don't know quite now how they got the titles sorted out, but Luke and Acts are actually were written roughly at the same time. He wrote them as part of his collation of information. He didn't actually see a, a specific difference between the two. They were just part of one continuing narrative that started with the birth of Christ, that went through his life, went through his death and resurrection, then followed into the start of the, the apostles, what they did, then what, what happened from there, and then all the way through to the ends of their lives and ends of Paul's life. So Luke actually had charted this entire thing together and he, he wrote it both as a, as a document that could be sent to Theophilus as a record as, you, as was indicated. But he also wrote it so that it could be read aloud and this was a, a testament that could be st- people could stand up and say, this is what happened, this is an orderly account of what occurred. And he wanted people to be able to hear it and go, yes, that's, that's correct, I now understand what was there. And we see... Luke's gospel then shares many connections with the other gospels. So we note that there's a large number of, in fact, all of the stories of Mark, all the stories that Mark record, all the miracles and fulfilment of prophecy and so on that Mark record, appear within Luke. And they appear within Luke. We know that Luke was able to use, was utilizing Mark's testimony. Now, Mark as an individual. Uh, had walked with and served with Peter. So Mark had collated all the stories from what Peter had actually been saying. Peter was there. So he had first-hand eyewitness testimonies that Mark had documented and then Luke had read those and recorded those within his gospel. But then Luke also uses a number of stories that Mark hadn't recorded but that Matthew had. And so Within the context of Matthew, Matthew provided a bit more of the lineage and background to Jesus and Luke uses that as well. And so we see that there's a number of areas that Luke used the same source as Matthew. Now, we know from how it is written that Luke didn't copy Matthew's stuff, that Luke and Matthew both got their information from someone else, that they had been able to collate that information and use the same source. And we can see that in how it's written. And so Luke obviously used that because he thought that it was important to build up this narrative and this accurate understanding of who Jesus was. But what we also find is that there's a number of stories, a number of details that are shared that aren't included in any other of the other Gospels that are written there because Luke found out and found this information and decided to incorporate it as part of his true and accurate account for his most honourable Theophilus. So the question then, as someone who loves history and loves understanding why things, how things are there, we can look at Luke and say, here's all the stuff that he said. And what does that tell us about Luke's perspective of Jesus? But to properly understand Luke's perspective of Jesus, we have to understand, well, when his accurate account, why did he include some things 
that Matthew or Mark clearly didn't think were important. Now, it's not just the fact that they had a different perspective because it comes out in the tone of the writing. There was something underpinning that. So we get to a question of trying to understand, is there more to what Luke was actually saying than just having this as an accurate history? And I have to admit, this is a mistake that I've often made because it's, it's one that I feel comfortable with as a style. It's something I find easy to read. And so in reading it, I find it easy to understand what Luke is trying to say. But the what is where we let ourselves down. Now, Nike is one of the biggest sporting wear manufacturers in the world. In the, they were first established in the mid-60s and they really got ahead of steam up during the, the 70s and it became the mega brand that it became through the 80s. And their main competition when they started was, a, was uh, Reebok and Adidas. There's some people here who refer that as Adidas. Uh, there's some people in the earlier service who didn't properly understand the truth and the way and referred to it as Adidas. Uh, it is, in fact, Adidas. But Adidas and Reebok sold runners. They sold sportswear. When they did their advertisement, they showed the product and then said, this is the best shoe or this is the best pair of running shorts or this is the best piece of sportswear. They were really, really, really good at telling you what it was that they made. And Nike came along and said, well, we can try and compete with those guys we can try and compete with those companies, but if we're going to do that, we're going to have to do something differently. We're going to have to try and think of a different way of selling our goods. And so they did. They actually sat back and said, well, hang on, what's going on here? Do people buy runners? Well, yes, they do. But why are they buying runners? They're buying runners because they want to achieve something. They want to do something. And so we actually, if you look at what Nike did, they never sold in their advertising a pair of runners ever again. What they sold was a story. What they sold was an idea. Just do it became one of the most famous marketing slogans in the world. But they had a whole host of other slogans that they would use. So all of their advertising campaigns, they would have someone wearing their gear, wouldn't tell you what it was, they just, you could see a runner wearing their gear with slogans underneath it like, you can be unstoppable. Tomorrow you can be sore or it can be a good day. You choose. You're, the, you're only one workout away from a good mood. Sidebar, don't completely believe in that. Workouts seem like a lot of hard work. I know people who like them, but whatever. Uh, fight, fear, and get hit. Set goals, exercise, take care of yourself, keep your fitness goals in mind, relax and rest, eat well, smile, smile, enjoy life, give back to others, believe in yourself, write your future. Nowhere there does, in any of Nike's campaigns, and there's like 104 different sort of slogans they used on different... Um, marketing brochures, but nowhere do they ever actually mention their sporting goods, their runners. They don't ever mention the technology they use and the, the rubber that they make it out of, the design that came up, why it's so good. 
they give you something to aspire to. What Nike had done was they had recognised that while the what is really critical, the why was far more important. They recognised that purpose was a thing that defined success. And as we understand purpose, we can then understand what is going on. And so while we look at the Bible and while we look at the Gospels and we can think about the perspectives of the different authors as to what they included, what matters most of all is why they included it. I started the verse, the first verse that I shared, verse 3, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I've also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honourable Theophilus. That seems to be Luke's purpose. But I made the mistake then of not properly understanding what Luke was on about and what his urgency was for why it mattered. I focused on the what. I focused on the accurate account. And what you just see is that when we open up the gospel fully and start to read all of what Luke has put there, we see his purpose become far more evident. So we look at verse Luke verse 1, 1. This is all in the New Living Translation for anyone who's checking. Verse 1, 1. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. And the first thing we see is that although he acknowledges that other people have set out to write accounts of what's going on, he acknowledges something that this is not just history, that the actions that have occurred, the activities that occurred, the things that have happened, the things that have been recorded by other people are a fulfilment of something. They're a fulfilment of things among us. And that language starts to give us a real insight to what Luke was on about. Because Luke understood both as a Greek and as, a, as someone who was a Jew, he, he understood prophecy, he understood fulfilment, he understood that Jesus wasn't just someone doing something, he was someone who was fulfilling prophecy around him. And we go into verse 2. They used eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. As I noted before, Luke wrote his whole gospel in Greek. And we start to unpack some information when we look at the Greek translation. And so the way that he talks about the early disciples, the original Greek can be, in, can be translated as from those who, who from the beginning were the servants of the word. So he's not actually just saying these were documented by people who were there at the start. He's not just saying this was documented by people who, who were following Jesus. He's saying... It was documented by people who were servants of the word and servants of the word in an understanding that Jesus was the word. So he recognises, first of all, that Jesus, that these, these history that he's recording is a fulfilment of prophecy. That secondly, that it was that fulfilment of prophecy was the word. Verse 3, we've already touched on, but we then jump on to verse 4 because verse 3 ends in a comma. So verse 3, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honourable Theophilus. And normally, I stop here. In my life, I'd always just read it and got to the full stop and said, it's just about being an accurate account. But there's a comma. And because he goes on in verse 4 and says, 
so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Theophilus isn't just coming into this with a, okay, what happened? Theophilus had actually been taught things. Theophilus had had information shared with him already. He'd had some of the background given to him. He'd been given sort of examples by others that he'd been told that there's this man called Jesus, that he was, Jesus was probably upsetting a few people along the way. He'd been told that Jesus had died. He'd been given this information. But more than just being given the information, Theophilus had been taught and Luke was wanting to provide certainty about what Theophilus had been taught. So what we can assume about what Theophilus had been taught was that Jesus was real, that he was the son of God and that he had was born, lived, and then died for our sins to give us life. We're now starting to see a picture of Luke and, and, a, and how he was thinking about this was that he didn't actually just want to tell people what had happened. He wanted the people who read it to be certain of the truth of Jesus. This is the why. This is the, this is the Nike slogan under the portrait of Jesus. that says, it's not just what he did, it's the why he exists. Because Jesus was the truth. Now Luke understood, he was an edu- as I said, he was an educated Greek. He, he had studied, he had worked and lived around educated people. He understood the language and the prose and the syntax of how people communicated. He understood how information was shared and how stories were told. And remembering this is a time, we, we think about history in fact in the context of video. What I say today is being streamed live it's recorded in YouTube, it'll be there and you can see exactly what was said. And we, so, we have this idea of sharing of information based on sort of video images of what happened. But this is a world in which story and most information is shared by people standing up and saying what happened. That for thousands of years, people had communicated via the, the spoken word. And yes, there was stuff written. Yes, there were cuneiform tablets, but it was really hard. It was really expensive to actually produce written material. And so Luke understood that context. He understood both the style of how stuff would be communicated in the spoken sense, but also how stuff could be written and documented. And so then as he understands his why, he's been very clear on what he wants to communicate we then start to see how he communicates it and he communicates it in a written narrative that he aspires to be historically sound, culturally anchored and spiritually directed. That he wants these three themes to come through everything that he writes because he knows that it's in the totality of these areas that people will come to have a full understanding of the truth of Jesus. So how do I know that this is the case? How do, how do you read Luke and actually get these themes of historically sound, culturally anchored and spiritually directed? Well, good thing you asked that question because I've got the answer for you. So historically sound. We can see that in the very first verses after he's done the introduction and where he set out his purpose, the very next verse, so verse 5, Luke sets out a context 
When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. We see here a style that Luke uses quite regularly all the way through his book, all the way through both of his books. He includes snippets of information that, although not strictly necessary for what the outcome of the story is, they're critical because they provide context and time and place. So by saying that when Herod was the king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah, and that Zechariah was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, from that, Luke knew that other people would be able to go back and check scrolls and check details that they had access to and go, ah, yes, we understand exactly who you're talking about. Luke wanted his stuff to be historically sound, and he provided that detail there. But he then goes on, he wants this to be culturally anchored. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is that he understood, as I said, both the style and the syntax of how people communicated, but he also understood the culture in which he was operating. He understood that what, was, what he wrote was going to be read or was going to be heard by people who lived in a particular culture. It's not, not the people who live in our culture, but the people who were living in that society then. So they would understand the significance of certain things that he mentions. They would also be provoked by certain things that he may not have mentioned because they would have expectations about how things should be communicated that they would have, a, have an understanding of this is the way the world works, so your narrative should describe the world in a way that we understand. But Luke had already, in his, under, in his desire that this demonstrate the truth of Jesus, recognised that one of the truths of Jesus was that Jesus upended so many of our so much of the thinking of what the social structure and hierarchy of the time would be that Jesus introduced concepts like the first will be last and the last will be first, that he talked about that the rich man wouldn't, would find it more difficult to get into heaven than passing a camel through the eye of a needle. He, Jesus was telling people that their social structure was going to change. And Luke recognised that this was a critical element of the truth of Jesus and therefore had to be incorporated had to be incorporated in what it was that he was sharing. He knew his cultural framework that he was operating in. And we see that by going further into chapter 1, where Luke does something very strange. The first quotes of people, actual humans within Luke, are not the people that the readers would normally have assumed should have been quoted. This is a world of hierarchy and social status. Women did not speak out in public. They did not preach from a pulpit. They did not claim revelation of the, in the Holy Spirit or, or special understanding or relationship with God. The only people who would preach would be people of the right status and be men. And what we discover is that Luke spends considerable time talking about two people who should not have deserved a mention in a, skull, in a, in a document such as this, Mary and Elizabeth. So verse 41 
we hear this just a snapshot out of a broader story, but verse 41, at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honoured that the mother of my Lord should visit me? In many ways, this phrase is heretical. A woman is claiming that she is in the presence of her Lord, that Luke is stating that this woman was full of the Holy Spirit, This is not what his audience would have expected. And Luke knew it and put it in there anyway because he knew that it spoke to who Jesus was. But he keeps going. In verse 46, Mary responds, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. This is wrong. A servant girl saying that, that she has a personal understanding of God, her saviour, that she is saying that all generations will be blessed. How dare she? How dare she take that mantle upon herself? That's not the sort of stuff that we put in a history. It's certainly not what we see described as important in some of the other gospels. But Luke recognised something very particular in his purpose, that if he was to truly give an account of the truth of Jesus, he had to speak to the actions and the historicity of what he did, but he also had to speak it in the context of the culture that was occurring and just how challenging Jesus actually was in that context. Luke understood that Jesus was going to change the social order And he made very clear to people that this was the case in the earliest chapters of his book. But not just that. Jesus wasn't just, Luke didn't want people just to know that the truth of Jesus was just that he was historically accurate and that he existed. That that he didn't want people to know that that Jesus was just a social champion, that he was a, a vagabond who was upending things to try and give benefit to the poor. He knew more than that because he knew that his writing had to be spirit-directed. Luke wanted it understood that Jesus' life was not just a random series of things, but they were the fulfilment of prophecy as God's Son and that the Spirit was active, that the Holy Spirit was alive and had come forth. We see this In the story of Zechariah, Zechariah was Elizabeth's husband. We were introduced in that verse 5. Zechariah had been visited by an angel to say, you're going to give, your wife is going to be pregnant, become pregnant and will give birth to a man who will lead the way for Jesus. And Zechariah knew that he and Elizabeth had never been able to have kids and were very old and that this was absolutely not going to happen. And so he laughs at the, the angel. He says, there is no way that's going to occur. And the angel says, fair enough, we'll see about that, and renders Zacharias mute. Zacharias can't speak for months. There are some wives here probably saying, sounds good to me. 
husband, go and have an argument with an angel anytime soon. But Zacharias can't speak for months because he wants, God has, has made him mute until such time as Zachariah can properly understand what's occurred. Elizabeth becomes pregnant, they have a baby, and Zachariah remembers what the angel had told him to call the baby, and Zachariah decides to call the baby John. That's what the angel had directed him to do. And so then in verse 67, in Zachariah's prophecy, we read these words, Then his father, so John, John the Baptist, Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty saviour from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. So why did Luke think that this was important? because he understood that the Spirit had to be visible as part of demonstrating the truth of who Jesus was. And so Zechariah's prophecy was a prophecy around the fulfilment of prior prior promises by um, God. That, as he noted, that he'd promised his holy prophets long ago, that, that this was something that connected into the story that Luke was going to share that everything of Jesus was the fulfilment of prior promises, but it was the fulfilment of the Spirit coming forward. So we understand that Luke's purpose was to share the truth of Jesus, and to do that, he needed to demonstrate that Jesus was connected to history, that he would upend social expectations, and that he fulfilled prophecy through the Spirit. Over the coming weeks, we're going to spend more time unpacking and looking through Luke and getting more of that perspective of what Luke is actually trying to tell us about who was this person of Jesus. As I said at the start, we felt that this was necessary because we so often constrain Jesus to our understanding of who he is. We put him in a neat little box that we can understand and we can say, yeah, I, that's the Jesus that I want to engage with. But what we discover is that Jesus is far bigger than anything we could ever really contemplate, far bigger than any one gospel writer could properly articulate, far bigger than what any one witness could fully contemplate. Luke wanted all who read or, or heard of his report to know the truth of Jesus. He wanted Theophilus to know that what he had heard about Jesus was more than just a series of stories, but it was the truth of the sovereignty of Christ. That Jesus had died for our sins and that there was a coming of the Holy Spirit through a personal relationship and belief in Jesus. Luke's purpose tells us a lot about who he was as an individual. But more significantly for us, it tells us something about what Luke hoped we would all be able to receive by coming through a relationship with Jesus. Can I ask you to stand with me now?
For many of you, the fact that you're here means that you probably had some awareness or some concept of Jesus in your life. And the challenge that I'd put to you is that the Jesus you think you know is bigger than you could ever know. That if you're someone who spends time comfortably in understanding the miraculous, spend time in Luke getting a sense of just how structured and important his life was. If you're someone who loves the social gospel of what, Luke, of what Jesus was doing, spend time in the other gospels to understand the, the miraculous and the, the teaching and the change that Jesus was bringing. If you're someone who doesn't know who this Jesus is, then take the time to get to know him. Because he's a Jesus that is worth knowing and he's worth knowing more about. The very last section of John actually really encapsulates why all these things are written and why, why we bother standing on stage and talking about this stuff. Why we bother sharing, why we bother communicating, why we bother talking about this all the time. John 20 verse 31. But these are written. So you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. That is the truth of Jesus. And that is the true account of what Jesus was and what he will be in your life. If you could bow your heads. Heavenly Father, I just thank you and praise your holy name. I thank you for the opportunity to come into your house today. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to be here free and free of persecution when so many others do not have that freedom. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for what Jesus was and for why you brought Jesus into our lives. Lord, I thank you for his sacrifice. I thank you for the life that comes through faith and belief in who Jesus is. Lord, I pray for everyone here today, that those who know Jesus already, that they come to a fuller understanding of who Jesus is. And that if there is anyone here today who doesn't know this, this person who walked this earth, this person who changed the very structures of the society in which we lived, this person who fulfilled prophecy and brought forward the Holy Spirit, I pray that if there is anyone here today who doesn't know that Jesus, that this time, this moment, is a chance for them to lift their hands and say, I would like to know that Jesus. Lord, I thank you for all that you've done and all that you will do. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.